0: Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the J. Berg Wilk Learning Series for 2017-2018. I'm Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion, but we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization.
1: um, some of the issues that we've been dealing with in in our congregation in Manhattan. I've been in my congregation for 31 years. It's a conservative shul um, in the west side, in the upper west side of Manhattan. It's a congregation that was uh, founded in 1825. It was, uh, went through through periods of uh, of glory and uh, of prominence and then in the late 70s, early 80s it it went down, it sort of became Bankrupt financially, spiritually, in, in every respect. Uh, the building was run down, and then um, the uh, number of people in the congregation got together. They hired um, a man who had been, uh, who was an American uh, rabbi who had been in Latin America. That's where I'm coming from. I come from Argentina. Uh, this rabbi, Marshall Meyer, of blessed memory, had gone to Argentina, established a congregation there, a rabbinical seminary. Camp Ramah, I mean he was uh, created, uh, uh, had many students who now serve in congregations, many in the States, and anywhere from Mexico to, to Argentina, and every country in between, and some in Israel. So they saw what, this, uh, what, what he had done in Argentina, and some people said, let's bring him over, and he'll revive this congregation, and he came in 1985, and he, and he started to, to rebuild and I joined him, I was his student for, for many years. And, um, and I joined him in 1986, a year after he arrived, and together we, with his vision, we sort of lifted up this congregation. The congregation is very uh, focused on uh, meaningful prayer. Um, we have music, and um, we have um, a, a, a wonderful program of, uh, of learning, and we have uh, um, people engaged in social action, social justice. We have a shelter for the homeless, we have a program that the soup kitchen for people who are in need of a meal once a week, and um, and, and many, many programs, it became a very alive and dynamic congregation. Now, as a conservative congregation, as a conservative rabbi, every time that uh, a, a person would come and say, you know, I'm getting married, or a couple would come and we're getting married, if both were not Jewish, we would say, sorry, we can't. We can't, uh, we can't do your wedding, really. Uh, sorry, call somebody else. So they would try to find somebody, usually, in the reform movement who would, who would do the wedding. But in the last couple of years, um, some of the young men and women who grew up in our congregation, as I told you, have been there for 31 years. So some of the kids who were born in that period are now in their 20s or early 30s they want to get married and they say, you know, I I grew up in this congregation, I was active here, I went to Hebrew school, I was bar mitzvah, I was participating in the teen programs, and I was always attached to this community and to this congregation, and to you as my rabbi. And now I went to college and wherever they went, and and I fell in love with this wonderful person who shares my values. Happens not to be Jewish. So, so these uh, these people, uh, young people, would come and, w- and would say, "No, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't marry you." But they would offer all these uh, these arguments, and um, and really, it truly breaks my heart, you know, that I couldn't be there for them at the most important, one of the most important days of their lives, and then that they would feel hurt and rejected, and they would just leave. And then they would have kids and raise kids who were not connected to the synagogue because they feel rejected and hurt. And I, I, I really began to understand this. And, um, and we decided, together with my colleagues, to, um, to spend. Uh, I, I first, together with a group of colleagues, and in cooperation with the Shalom Hartman Institute in Jerusalem, which is a great place of, of, of learning, uh, my colleagues and I, and uh, a number of other conservative rabbis, together with the Hartman Institute, we spent a number of months uh, studying this issue and uh, and and looking for ways in which we could operate moving forward. Because 70 percent, 70 percent of Jews getting married today in America marry somebody who's not Jewish. So. I don't think, of course, uh, uh, that there's nothing moral about it, there's nothing wrong about it, only that if we worry or if we're interested in promoting the continuity of the Jewish people, then we have to find some way to to move forward with this. So we spend a... Thank you. Just see if it works. Okay. We spend a... uh, then we decided we're going to have a process with uh, with our congregation for an entire year so in June of 2016 at the annual meeting of the congregation we told the congregation we're embarking on a year of study together with the community not just the rabbis but together with the community and at the end of the year next annual meeting 2017 we're going to announce what we're going to do about this issue we can't just do nothing we can't just avoid the issue, look away, put our, hand in the, our head in the sand. It's either yes or no or something in between. We have, to, we have to wrestle with this. So we created a process of a number of lectures that were um, given by scholars that were brought by the Hartman Institute. We did a, a process of conversation within the congregation because we had a lot of people who really wanted to see us doing interfaith marriages or intermarriages. And there were a lot of people who didn't want to, for us to go there. And there were a lot of people who were undecided. And so we decided to create um, conversations within the community that were moderated and guided so people could actually uh, clarify where they stand and understand why they think what they think. Um, and that they could share their ideas with other people within the congregation who, who disagree with them. And people could hear each other, and agree to disagree, or change their mind, but certainly understand where is it that we're coming from. You know, because sometimes you have a reaction to something that's absolutely not, or absolutely yes, but you don't really understand where in a deeper place this is coming from. And whether the scholarship or the lectures and the learning could affect one's opinion or one's thinking and move us one way or or another. So we created uh, lots of opportunities for people in small groups. These were guided and moderated, and there was a whole very well-designed process that allowed people to actually explore their feelings, emotions, ideas, and so on. And then parallel to that, we had a, a series of community events. For example, at one event, we had six members of the congregation who spoke very personally about their position on intermarriage. Two were against, two were uh, for, and two were sort of undecided, and they were trying to find their way. And they prepared, like, TED Talks. They were seven, eight minutes each, each presented with very personal stories, and then after each one, the congregation had a chance to, to pause and reflect. And then at the end of the evening, once the sixth members had presented, there were conversations at tables with guiding questions and so on. We had a, uh, then we had a a thing online that people could, we put a question. What's at stake for you in this conversation? That was the question. And hundreds of people posted uh, responses, um, uh, opinions, personal stories, and it was a very rich conversation. At the end of the year, Uh, we, the rabbis, I have two colleagues. I've been in a process of, of study and debating and listening to members of our congregation and deliberating. Uh, we had made it clear that the decision, the halachic decision about Jewish law was a rabbinic decision uh, and that we would come to a decision at the end of the, of the academic year of, of 2017, so in June. So in the process of deliberation, we had some major and some major sort of um, insights. One insight was that Jewish identity historically had not been a binary. It was not you're a Jew, you're in or you're out. You are Jewish, you're not Jewish. It wasn't always a binary choice. There were periods in Jewish history, particularly in Biblical times and rabbinic times, when there were... um, the Jewish identity was on a spectrum. There were people who were born Jewish, there were people who remained not Jewish, but there were also people who converted, there were people who lived with the Jewish community but didn't convert and adopted certain um, practices, and had certain privileges with the Jewish community, even though they didn't convert. And so we started seeing that maybe we should not approach this issue as Jew, non-Jew, yes, no, you're in, you're out, but maybe there is some way to see people on a spectrum. I mean, I'll give you an example. For example, uh, there are people who were born in, in America, there are people who, and those people have maximum privileges, somebody who immigrated to this country such as me, I became an American citizen, I have all the privileges of citizenship, I cannot be president, right? Then there are people who are here on a visa, they live here or on a green card, they're residents, but there are certain privileges they don't have and certainly they they can be sent back home at some point if given certain conditions. There are people here who are on a temporary visa, they're studying or they're working here on a permit and there are people who come as tourists, they're only allowed to stay for three months, and then there are people who've never been here. So you have the whole spectrum of, of, uh, of connection, so to speak, to, the, to, the, to a country. Similarly, uh, one can approach Jewish identity in that spectrum. That's one of the insights we had. Another insight we had is that today, people who marry somebody who's not Jewish do not necessarily want to leave the Jewish community. It's not like they're married because they're marrying somebody who's not Jewish because they're not interested in Jewish life or because they're assimilated or because they're, they, they are declaring that they are disconnecting with the Jewish community. In fact, people today come and they say, I'm marrying somebody who's not Jewish, but I want to be part of the community. And in fact, my partner, my spouse or my future spouse also wants to be part of the Jewish community. And we want to raise our kids Jewish. There are many people who say so. So we said we can't just push away everybody. That was another insight. Third insight was that um, many people, who are, even who are uh, in-married, jew they live in homes that have nothing Jewish. They live lives that are not Jewish. They happen to be Jewish and married to each other, but they have no, um, no Jewish lives. And there are people who are, we have them in our community, who are intermarried, who have Jewish lives, who have Jewish homes, who have elements of Judaism in their home, who pass Jewish identity to their kids. We have cases of people who also... Uh, test, uh, testified or, or, or share their, their experience in our community, who uh, were intermarried, and then after a number of years, the person who was not Jewish decided to convert, become part of, of the Jewish people formally. So we decided that we're going to, on the basis of these insights, on the basis of this conversation that we had for a year, and the learning that we did, that beginning in 2018, we're going to begin to celebrate and bless the marriage of a person who is Jewish and a person who is not Jewish, in the case where they declare and they commit to having a Jewish home, to being connected to Jewish community, to raising their children Jewish, to converting the children, to bring them to the mikveh if the, if the mother is not Jewish, if they commit to these things, we will celebrate their relationship, their love, their commitment, but the big piece here is that for us, we said it's more important, more important that there be a Jewish home and that, they ha- and that this couple and this, this family have a Jewish life than whom they marry. You could have two Jews, as I said before, who don't have Jewish lives. But you could have a Jewish person, or a person who is not Jewish, who marry and they can have a Jewish life. So for us, it's more important what type of home they have. And so we're now building a big project called the Jewish Home Project, which basically will give resources, mentorship, guidance to all couples who marry in our community, Jewish-Jewish and Jewish-non-Jewish. They all will, have, uh, will ha- have to engage in this process of clarifying, learning, and doing, um, building Jewish homes. We're not going to go through a checklist. But we have a number of items that we want people to learn about and to reflect on and to make decisions and to, and to begin to experiment with. Shabbat and holidays, learning of Jewish texts and Jewish ideas, connection to Jewish community, a connection to Israel, issues of tzedakah and justice. And we have a, a number of things that are going to be part of our curriculum, which we're building now. We're now going to apply for big funding. We need a couple of million dollars over five years to be able to, to launch this. You know, like we need about $400,000 a year in order to be able to mount. We have to hire people, we have to create resources and uh, a curriculum and so on, create cohorts of, of couples that will go through this process. And hopefully uh, we will strengthen uh, Jewish homes and Jewish lives. You know, what happens in, 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 in our communities is that uh, in liberal communities, is that a lot is dependent on the synagogue. People depend on their Jewish lives, depend on the synagogue for the Jewish lives. There's less that happens in the Jewish home, particularly in the younger generations. People don't know how to do these things at home. So now what we're trying to do is to, to of course, to strengthen synagogues and Jewish centers, community centers, but also to strengthen the Jewish home. So that people can do things on their own or with their peers, with their friends and family members, and not have everything depend on the shul. So that's what we are doing. I thought I would share this with you. We're now um, sort of building, for example, one of the things that we are starting now this year, we, we're trying a few, a few things, we're testing. So, one of the things we started last week after Thanksgiving was. We have a group of grandparents, people who are grandparenting Jewish grandchildren. In other words, the grandparents' children may be in an intermarriage, but their grandchildren want their parents want to raise their children Jewish. So the grandparents have a great deal of uh, influence and the opportunity to figure out how we can transmit. Uh, Jewish identity, Jewish culture, Jewish ideas, and so on, and values to the third generation, to the grandchildren. So we had a group of uh, about 20 grandparents who came. There was a sociologist. There was a rabbi there. And now we're expanding. We decided that sometimes people have, they don't have their own grandchildren, but they have influence. They have a special relationship with a child in the following generation a grand-nephew, a grand-niece, uh, the child of a friend, of the children of friends, so that we're now expanding the group. It's not just grandparents. It's people who are in in a generation where they can have an influence on the third generation. So we're beginning to test how this is going to work, and I am very confident that... um, that we are going to succeed. I'm going to put everything I have and everything I know and everything I can into making this succeed because um, I I believe that uh, we can continue without uh, without addressing this issue. So I'd like to open it for <coughs> comments and questions. Okay, so what I'd
0: like to do, since we have only 10 minutes, is take all the questions, all the questions and comments, and then you'll just get the final. Great, right. cool? yeah, yeah, so we'll yeah. yeah, let's go around. How does the issue of patrilineal and matrilineal right. descent work into this?
1: Right. So, so we, I'll answer this first. We decided not to change the definition, the halachic definition, to patrilineal. We are staying matrilineal, at least for now. We decided it's too much to change and to shift all at once for our community. It wasn't the right thing, the right move. So uh, for now, we're staying with matrilineal.
0: Have you changed the words of the ketubah or the words of the ceremony?
1: Okay, so let's have a couple of questions.
0: Is the conservative movement behind you in this?
1: For support? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the ketuba. First, first the ketubah. We, we, we decided to, be, to do these marriages in an alternative ceremony. We're not using the traditional ceremony which has uh, at the center of the Jewish ceremony something called Kiddushin, which is the, the, um, the, um, the framework um, or the instrument, the legal instrument through which a couple gets married. It's called Kiddushin and um, um, we are not using the traditional instrument. We're not inst- using the traditional f- format. We're doing a Jewish ceremony with Jewish blessings, with a Hebrew language, with the Jewish concepts, with a chuppah. But we're not doing the traditional ceremony. We're doing something alternative. So there is no ketubah. There is instead actually a document of the commitment that the couple made to each other in terms of all the things that they committed, financial, issues of intimacy, and so on and so forth, but also issues of the Jewish home and raising children. All of that is going to be in a document that they will sign and that witnesses will sign as well, which will be then uh, read, be read at the at the ceremony. the The conservative movement is well. The conservative movement is very large. the <clears throat> The rules of the rabbinical assembly of the of the rabbis for the rabbis of the movement is that intermarriage is of limits. So uh, I haven't done anything yet, but when the time comes. Either I will resign or I will be expelled. Um, but, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm firm on this commitment. I'm going to do it. But, um, uh, but the movement is wide. There are many people, many rabbis and many congregants who want to see something happening and moving. And I said to people who have asked me, I don't know whether this is the only solution. I don't know whether this is the best solution. This is the best solution that works for my congregation for, for uh, addressing the needs of, of my people who come Shabbat in and Shabbat out. And, um, and I, I maybe there was, there's other ways of doing it, uh, but m- people are craving for some motion forward. In my opinion, the conservative movement is in great trouble. Orthodoxy is clear about it. And the reform movement is clear about it. The conservative movement is not clear about it, or at least hasn't found a path forward in order to deal with this question of 70% intermarriage. And if the movement doesn't do something, it's it's going to continue to diminish. Now the conservative movement is 19% of American Jewry. It was the biggest movement back in the 50s and 40s, 50s, 60s. So it's in trouble. So there are many rabbis who are supportive of Finding some solution. There are many congregants who are supportive of finding some solution, and the leadership is talking and debating it. And it takes time for things to evolve. Somebody has to jump, you know. And uh, there are actually some colleagues in the conservative movement who've who've done this and and very conscientiously and very thoughtfully, and they've they've left the movement. Formally. I mean, they're, they're conservative Jews in their culture in their formation in their training, the way they think and the way they approach Jewish law. We're not abrogating Jewish law. Some people say, well, you're abrogating Jewish law. We're not abrogating Jewish law. We're changing certain things that we believe need to be changed. No, we made it clear that uh, we are not going to co-officiate also. That it's going to be a ceremony which is only a Jewish ceremony uh, with Jewish tradition, with Jewish blessings and no co-officiation. Michael? You? The Jewish home
0: project that you talked about, is that something that you're interested in only maintaining within your home synagogue at DJ? Or is that something that you're willing to share? We're willing
1: we to share with anybody. For, for, I mean. We don't have copyright over anything in, in, at BJ. We borrow also from other places who are open to share. We share, we have open files, and we take from people who are willing to share. It's a great idea here. That's, I mean, the, you know, the, the territorialism in the Jewish community is going to end up destroying us if we, if we, so we have to share, we have to share things that work, we have to test, we can't copy. New York is not Phoenix, Phoenix is not New York, Boston is not Los Angeles. Everybody has to to borrow and adapt creatively. But those relationships are relationships. Exactly. So we are willing to share now. We are not going to invent everything ourselves. You know, there's tons of resources out there. So we are we are, we are now the first stage of our work is we're testing a few th- programs now. But as soon as we have a little bit of funds to be able to do this, we're going to do an environmental scan, meaning we're going to scan what's out there in terms of resources and things that work and enter into partnerships with people who are doing great things so that we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Why do we, should we create something that is already there, perhaps better than what we would create ourselves? So we're going to research that and begin to bring all these resources. My question was similar to Jamie's. Um, what does the United Synagogue, I mean, United Synagogue knows that they're in trouble. Yes. Um, are they looking at this issue? Yes. Have they debated it? Have they discussed it? Yes. United synagogue, has, United synagogue is ahead of the rabbinical assembly on this. Mm-hmm. So, for example, last year they declared, they had a whole uh, um, question. They, de- they, de- they debated the question of, um, of membership in synagogues. They decided anybody can be a member of a synagogue. Who says that only Jews have to be a member of a synagogue? I mean, where is it written? One another thing is to say, you know, we're giving an aliyah to the Torah. Okay, so you can say only Jews have that privilege because they're Jewish and so on. But membership in a synagogue, they decided anybody can be a member of in a, in a synagogue. In fact, that a, every synagogue can decide for themselves who can be members of their synagogues. But as far as they're concerned, anybody can be a member, which is a, it's a very in, interesting and intelligent step. Very. When we were in these conversations, United Synagogue asked if, we, if they could have some people of, the, of United Synagogue meet with us to talk about these issues. We said, absolutely, yes. So they said, look, we don't want to publicize it, but we said, we are not gonna publicize it, but you can come and you can see and we can talk and we can learn together and I understand. I mean, there are political issues there. You know, we are one shul in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. we have happy to be successful, therefore, we can, we, we can do things. But United States has all sorts of issues they have to deal with, which I understand. And I'm supportive of their. I think they, are, they want to move. I think the Rabbinical Assembly has a little bit more of a, of a you know, holding back.
0: No,
1: and Eisen, my limited exposure to both of them, I don't think they'd be interested. No. Arnie Eisen, is, Arnie Eisen is, doesn't, doesn't think this is a good idea. I, I met with him every month. I had lunch with him as we were going through this process. No, no, he was very supportive in the beginning and you should study and so when we sort of were coming closer to a decision, he says, I hope you won't cross any red lines. I said, you know, some lines we have to cross. What Otherwise, it's like what status did quo. Say what was the red line that he was talking about? I, I, I think he wanted for us to decide that we were going to be uh, very welcoming, that we're not doing intermarriages, but we're embracing, and, and we try that. I told him, you know, you don't have a congregation. You live, you know, in, a, in an academic institution that is a wonderful institution. I, lo- I owe a lot to the Jewish Theological Seminary. It's, it's my alma mater. I, I learned there and I love the place. And, and I respect it and I admire the work that they do. But I said with all due respect to you, you're a, you've been a professor at Stanford for many years and you are the head of an academic institution. I am dealing with the people whom I have to look in the face, the young people who grew up in my congregation whom I'm saying, I can't marry you. And they say, you're rejecting me, I'm not coming back. And I can tell them, get married and come back the next day, and I'll give you an aliyah, and I'll hold you, and so on. And they said, no. I need you. I had a couple two years ago, three years ago. It was amazing. This, this couple came. She grew up in my congregation. And she was very active. And she went to study at Duke, and she met this young man. And, uh, and he was from someplace in North Carolina. He had never met Jews until he went to college. And he met this woman and other Jews at college. And they began dating. He's a medical student at the time. And they came to see me. They said, we want to get married. And she said, I know you can not do it. But can you help us to figure out the ceremony and so on? And so forth. I said, "Well, are you going to have a, ma- a rabbi marry you? They said, well, can you recommend somebody? I said, yes. I gave the name of a colleague. They went to see this colleague. And then they came back and they said, look, uh, we may not have a rabbi at the ceremony. We, we, the person you sent us to was lovely, really, very warm and lovely, but we have no connection to her. We didn't grow up with her, so to have a rabbi, to hire a rabbi for a wedding to whom we have no connection doesn't make sense. So we'll have a wedding without a rabbi. Can you help us build a thing? So I, I'm sitting with them in my office, and they're talking, and I say to, to him, why do, you, why do you want to marry her? Why did you Fall in love with in her. No, he said to me, I want to have, I, he said, I am, I want to ha- have Jewish children. I, he says, you want to have Jewish children? He says, yes. I said, why? He says, I fell in love with her. I am deeply in love with her. Her name is Sasha. I understand that Sasha, I am in love with her also because of who she is and the values that she has. And I understand that she is who she is and she has the value she has because she, Of her Jewish upbringing because she grew up in a Jewish home. And so I love her and I want my kids to be like her. Therefore, I want my kids to live in a Jewish home and to, and I said, why don't you convert? He says, look, we just met a couple of years ago. I am, we finished college. I'm now, I did pre med, I'm in medical school. I can't really go and study this in depth and study seriously. And I don't really want to do a conversion just for the sake of getting married because my mother is very religious. She's a Baptist and she's very religious and if I'm going to get into Judaism I want to do it in, in a serious way. So I'm not saying I'm not going to convert. I'm not going to convert for now. We want to get married. We want to get on with our lives. I want to get on with medical school and maybe later on. you know. So I said great. So I helped them out to figure out. I didn't do the wedding but I helped them out figuring out a few things, and I'm saying, like, why can't I engage people like this? You know, I want to engage people like this. I want to have them. I want to be on this very important day of their lives. Bless the fact that you know today finding love is not something that you can take for granted. I have two daughters. One is 29. One's 27, and they're both unmarried, and they both are looking for some for a meaningful, serious relationship. You know, it's not easy with a Jewish person. It's not easy. So. When somebody finds love, I want to be able to celebrate if they're serious also about about a Jewish commitment and a Jewish home. So that's where we that's where we land. And Arnie, going back, I don't I don't think he's he's not in that position. He doesn't have to do this. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.